Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. I've learned through working in coaching that you really don't know what someone's going through and you can't make any type of assumption, especially when it comes to money, because the way it messes with your mind is where a lot of the help that they're looking for actually is rooted in. It's sort of like it's therapeutic to just talk about openly about these things and then really reach the root of like, oh yeah, like that's really my problem is that I want to feel in control of my money and I don't, you know, like those types of things happen in these conversations. I think choose your heart is like for money. That's like one of the most accurate statements where you getting into the personal finance world and you're starting to think about fixing your financial problems choose your heart because no matter what it's not a video game where you could go easy medium level hard level no it's <laughs> it, they all hard so pick yes. the one that you want <laughs> you're listening to yo quiero dinero a personal finance podcast for the modern latina I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, So you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Yanelli, welcome back to the show. You are one of our elite repeat guests, and yes. it's such an honor to have you here. I remember when we first met during the pandemic, and I was just so inspired by the work that you're doing, and I continue to be so inspired by what you're doing. And the latest project, this beautiful book, Mind Your Money, we're going to talk all about it, the inspiration for it, what folks can get from the book, your story in case anybody hasn't heard about it. But let's start off with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, girlfriend. Thank you, Mama. Oh, first of all, it's an honor to come back, especially after having witnessed the OMOP conference that you did that, girl, bringing <laughs> so many amazing Latinos and Latinas together. I was like in awe, just like the little hairs on my arms were standing on end the whole weekend for what you were able to pull off. I mean, that's just amazing. Thank you. Seriously, was amazing. In terms of my stories, so I mean, I started in this financial literacy space as a learner, yo, like everybody else is trying to learn this shit. Like I literally did not know anybody in my family who understood how credit cards worked, who understood the difference between a traditional savings account, a high yield savings account, a certificate of deposit savings account. Didn't know anybody who knew what the heck was inside of their retirement plan if they had one. My parents didn't, but some of my sisters and brothers did. They didn't know what the heck was in there. And so it just was constantly this big giant question mark in our life of like how money works on a deeper level. And so I got caught up with a bunch of credit cards. I was using them to buy everything and anything that I thought I needed, I wanted, especially in college, but also like after I graduated college, the problem just like kept going. I would go out every weekend living in New York City. I would go out Thursdays, Fridays, Saturday nights and thinking I'm JLo, I'll be like, <laughs> I can't be seen with the same outfit twice. So if I already wore that and it was on Facebook and Instagram, I can't wear it again. Yeah, so I'm shopping would... at Rainbow for Rainbow! those clothes outfits. <laughs> Girl, why was I buying? And then it's like, 
clearly when you spend $10, you know what you're getting. You're getting rags. You're buying raggedy stuff. So all my stuff was constantly just like, I would wash it once or twice and that's it. I'm throwing it out and buying new stuff all the time. And it was this constant cycle of just wasting my money without ever thinking really and truly about was the money going into something that I valued that meant something to me? Is that how I wanted my money to be used? Or like, is there something I should be changing? And so, yeah, I had just my big aha moment when I couldn't give my mom and dad money that they asked me for, plus pay my bills, plus have a, a train pass to get to work, plus pay for lunch and groceries, plus my cell phone bill. My inter- I mean, it was just all came crashing down because my mom and dad, I think they asked me to help them with like some of the bills at home. And I was going through my checking account. And by the time I paid my credit card bills and my bills and bought what I needed, there was just no way I could help them. And at that time, I was making about $40,000 as a teacher which is more than either one of my parents have ever made or however they've made combined. So I'm like, there's no way, (laughs) like I can't help them. So I just pulled up my credit card statement and I saw how the interest charges were like eating me alive. And that was the wake up call for me to start reading books, listening to podcasts, reading blogs, following people on social media. It was like, wake up and smell the cafe because it's time to get serious and make a change. I think there's so many people that can relate to your story of just finding themselves in a hole when it comes to money. And you have two options, right? You can take the route that a lot of people take, which is just like, all right, well, I guess this is what adulting is. We're just going to accept this as reality debt is for everybody and we're just going to live with it and die with it. Or you take the approach that you took where you're like, nah, like this shit is ghetto. Something's got to change. Now we got to do something different. So what do you think it is about your personality that said like, I'm not going to stick my head in the sands and ignore this and pretend like this is okay. I'm going to do something about it. Cause a lot of people don't have the courage to even like face that shit. Yo, I think it's this concept that I learned about in my master's program. So I did, I did my master's in education and I became a teacher And I remember this study that they did to find out if children have grit or not. And now, like a lot of people know of it because it's kind of like on a little bit viral on social media and stuff. It's like the marshmallow test where they will put three marshmallows in front of the kid and they're like, okay, guys, like you can't eat these three marshmallows now and enjoy it. Or you can wait 15 minutes. And when we come back after the clock passes 15 minutes, you'll get 10 more marshmallows plus the three that are on the table right now. And of course, what you see is like the kids start smelling the marshmallows. They're like licking the marshmallows, touching them. And like, they can't help themselves. They like have to eat the marshmallows. And most of them eat the marshmallows and like forget about those 10 other ones. But the ones that were able to wait the 15 minutes, those that had grit, real grit means that you're willing to sustain through pain, through discomfort, through something that is a huge challenge, doesn't feel good for you. It's not enjoyable, but you're willing to put up for it because you know in your mind that what you're doing is waiting for something even better to come. That is the definition of people who have grit when they go work out in the gym. Like, of course, nobody enjoys the pain. It freaking sucks. It hurts. But you know that you're about to become healthier. You're about to become stronger. There's a lot like that comes later that you are putting in the work now to get. And yes, it's painful. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's annoying. Nobody loves it. But we love the outcomes and we're waiting for those outcomes. And so I think that's what it is. I've always been gritty. And I think that's maybe just growing up in poverty, growing up in the hood, growing up in most, you know, immigrant families. You got to have grit. You better figure this out. Like our parents, they don't take no for an answer. When they tell you, you got to do something, you got to do it. And I think that I've always been that kind of a gritty kid. I made it through public schools. I went, got a scholarship to college. Like all that kind of stuff was because I I had this grit and this determination. I wasn't going to quit. And then I just applied it in this context. I'm like, yo, am I going to really just like struggle forever? Like I have to do something to change the situation. And as I started looking online, I realized, oh, I'm not having to sit down with a blank piece of paper and make up a plan and recreate the wheel and start from nothing. There's mad information on this Blue Ivy's internet right now (laughs) with so much formulas, spreadsheets, articles, books, podcasts, blogs, everything free. I don't have to start from nothing. They are giving me the roadmap. I just got to do the work. And so for me, I think that was more empowering than it was scary because I realized I wasn't starting from scratch and I wasn't alone. I think a lot of people get stuck in the information phase where they like consume a lot of stuff. But then when it comes to the application, it's like, oh my God, what do I do? Do I open high yield savings account? Do I go and negotiate my credit card rates? Do I start investing? And it just becomes like overwhelming to the point where people end up doing nothing because of that information overload. So what's your suggestion for people that are like in that phase and they're just like, I'm so confused. What do I do? Where do I start? 
Yeah. I mean, this is kind of like any major project that you have in your life. It's not going to be one thing that you need to do and then the project is done. Any major project that you want to do, it, you have to do it part by part. Just spring cleaning. I mean, growing up, I remember like mommy, would, we would come home from church. She would blast her old school bachata merengue and we would all have to clean. Now, the house isn't going to get clean literally in 20 minutes like we had to split and for hours and hours okay i'm doing the bathroom these they're doing the backyard my sister's doing the laundry this one is you know mopping the floors mommy's cooking and doing the kitchen like it was a team effort but you kind of start with a plan like all right we're gonna tackle these things in this order and then maybe we leave bigger projects like the deep cleaning in the closet and all that kind of stuff like for later but you kind of figure out what can be done now and what's the part by part of approach to that plan and that's how i approach cleaning today like i'll be like all right today i'm gonna do my clothes I'm going to organize this. Then tomorrow do the laundry. I kind of break it up. And that's how it has to be with your finances. If you're going to sit down and just be like, all right, I read this book and now I need to fix my credit score, open a high yield savings account, I need to start investing. And you're not going to do anything because you're overwhelming yourself. So start with what is the immediate thing right now that's going to impact me the most. If it's going to be moving my savings to a 4% or more interest rate right now in these 2023 times, then great. Go ahead and just open the high yield savings account. Like it's such a quick and easy thing you can do to just be like, yes, I took a step in the right direction. You know, maybe you transfer the money later, but just open the account like that. That's huge. So you sort of have to break it down into what's the highest priority stuff and then break it down part by part, just like you would any major project like a home renovation, cleaning the house, any big things like that. You can't do it all at once because you just drive yourself crazy. Yeah, absolutely. You really just have to realize that personal finance and getting your money shit together is going to be a lifelong journey. Because there's going to be things you're going to be dealing with decades from now, y'all. We're talking about things like estate planning and insurance and prenuptial agreements when you get married. Like there's just another level. So you're never going to become an expert. I think the sooner you, you accept the idea of like, I'm going to be a perpetual learner in this space. I'm good. That's cool. That's true. And you sleep better at night knowing that like at the end of the day, for me, I think this is something that you're either like a curious learner, like a person who gets excited and curious to figure out their stump, something that you don't know. And you're like, you want to figure it out, like you want to crack the code or you're the type of person who's like annoyed that there's something that you don't know that you have to learn. Like those types of people, I'm going to invite you to stop being like that. And to start being the type of person who finds out there's something that you don't know. And you're like, Ooh, can't wait to learn that. Like, I'm going to figure that one out. Like, I'm going to find out who can help me figure that out because you have to constantly have that curiosity because like me today, I'm 33. I've been posting content about money since 2015 and I'm still learning new ish every damn day. I'm like, wait, what is that? I didn't know about this. What is this part of the tax code? I didn't know that I could benefit from that. I didn't like, there's always this new stuff to learn. And that's actually a beautiful thing because it means you're constantly able to level up, level up, level up. How boring is it to just be at the same level on plateau and be like, oh, I already know everything there is to know. I mean, that's just boring. So just invite yourself to join us on this side where we like curious and, and like excited to learn all the new stuff and new ways to level up. with. Absolutely. I love that perspective. And it really does start with a mindset shift, y'all. So let's go. Okay, so take us behind the scenes of your epiphany that like you're in debt and your strategy now. How am I getting out of this? Because there's a lot of people, especially right now in 2023, inflation is at an all-time high. A lot of folks are relying on credit cards to pay their bills. People are getting into debt. And at some point, shit's going to come crashing down and we're going to have to make a plan for it. So what's your best advice based on the approach that you took? Well, the approach that I took, I would not recommend. Okay. okay? It's luck. Luck is not a damn strategy, people. <laughs> I got so freaking lucky because I sat down in my bedroom and I cried my eyes out because I saw the interest charges just racking up. I added up all my credit cards and I was like, damn, I have over $20,000 of credit card debt and my income is 40K. Half of every check that I make just disappears to credit card debt. How the heck is that? How did I get to that point? Like, how is that possible? And more importantly, how the hell am I going to solve this problem? So for me, it was just more like I was just stressed. I was crying. I didn't know. I had more questions than answers. And I just put it all away. And went to sleep. Like I had a headache. I was crying. I cried myself to sleep. The next day, got up, went business as usual, went to work, see my kids, everything's normal. And at that point, I left school and I was like in the bad habit of like picking up snacks and stuff while I waited for the bus or the train. Like I was one of those ones that would literally be buying just to buy a candle or a granola bar or like a little yogurt, whatever, anything just to pick something up. So I had something in my hand, like people with Starbucks. Like it's like, I get it because I just wanted to have something. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was a problem. So I walked into like a, a CVS or something like a, a Rite Aid and I walked in, I walked around, I picked up some random stuff. And when I was going to go pay, there was a book, Women and Money by Susie Orman, just right where all the magazines and stuff are. Like when you're about to pay and they throw you some snacks and magazines at the very end, one of the books was Women and Money. And I'm like, 
I'm literally, is this a sign from God? <laughs> like I was just crying last night in my freaking little office at home. My boo like little desk that was like actually a dresser that I turned into a desk. I'm sitting there crying the night before the next morning. I go to work like everything's normal. And that afternoon find a book called Women and Money. Like, come on, this, is, this doesn't happen. This happens in freaking movies. I could have ignored it and just laughed it off. But I picked up the book. While I was waiting in line, I just started reading it. My nine or 10 pages in, I was like, oh, hell, I need to buy this damn book. Like, this is the, the information I'm literally crying about last night. I need this. So I paid $9.50 or something like that. Best money I ever spent because that Susie Orman book, it was not necessarily like the thing that saved me. It didn't change my whole life. But what it did was it opened the door to me to now realize that this is something that I need to do. I need to be reading books about money. And this was the first one. It was the one that opened that door that made me become interested in, in learning more, reading more. So from then on, I read like all the classic personal finance books. I read The Simple Path to Wealth. I read, you know, Your Money, Your Life, The Millionaire Next Door, all those books that like now I think of it as that was such a great foundation. But what I realized was they didn't sound like us. They didn't talk like us. They weren't using the words that we use or the examples that we're talking about with our families. So as much as the knowledge and the information was helpful, it still felt there was this gap. Like it felt like there was this missing piece. Of like, are they talking to me? Because it doesn't seem like it. And so that's when I decided like, okay, as great as this information is, at the end of the day, I kind of want to take it all and then like translate it for like my people and like get them to see that this doesn't have to be so dry and so technical and only information. It can be stories. It can be real experiences. It can be people that you know, and it can be for us too. So that really inspired me. But that initial book, like for me, I had, I never heard a woman talking about taking control of your money and not letting your partner, your mate, your spouse dictate what you do and decide everything for you, but that you should be in control and you should know how much money, where the accounts are, how to log in, how to handle things, what decisions are being made. And for me growing up in a house where mommy was not that kind of woman, I mean, she was the kind of wife where like Papi would tell her how much he was going to give her and she had to make do with that. And if she needed more, she had to explain why and show him receipts and all. I mean, they just, just did not have a very financially healthy dynamic in their marriage. My dad was very much like in control of the moment, the money he made it, he earned it, he brought it in. And then my mom would have to like explain like school supplies are getting more expensive. You know, I need more. And I watched that. And this book was like in stark contrast to all of that that I saw. And so for me, it was very inspiring and empowering. Yeah, that was actually my first book that I read in personal finance too. So we have that connection. And I was actually lucky enough to meet Susie back in like 2019 here in Tampa. She had like a speaking engagement. And I was just like, yo, I don't even think she realizes like the impact that she's had on all of these incredible women that now occupy this space. It's just getting more and more diverse by the day. And especially yes. the literary world when we're talking about we got Latinas writing books about money, girl, girl and multiple, okay. multiple Latinas. Yes. It's such a vibe. First off, congratulations, because just the mere feat of putting out a book in general is such a unique thing for our community. I think it's less than like 7% of authors are Latina. And then I, if we look at the personal finance category, it's like freaking percent of a percent. Right? Yes, uh, a fraction of, of one percent. Yes. Oh, sad. So tell yeah. me what inspired you to write the book. And I want to also dive into what folks can expect when they read Mind Your Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Money. Okay, so inspiring piece. I'm going to tell you the truth. I was never the type of person who thought of myself as a writer. Now I have written freaking 30, 40 page papers for my art history classes and for a lot of college courses that I took. So writing isn't something that it's not that I'm not good at it is that I don't necessarily enjoy it. And I have always been of the life philosophy that like every day when I wake up, I want to try to do more things that I love than doing things that I don't love in any given day. So we get 24 hours in a day. I like sleeping. I want to sleep a certain amount of those hours. The other hours I want to split between more of those hours doing things that I enjoy. Of course, it's going to be some hours I got to do things I don't like, but I, we got to do it right. A hashtag adulting. But most of my time, I want to spend doing things that I like. And so that means like traveling, painting, reading, like all the things I actually genuinely like enjoy doing. But writing for me was always something that felt more like a chore. It always felt like it was one of those things that I was doing that I had to do, not that I was like, I want to do it. I never wake up being like, oh, I got to write that down. Like, I never do that. I wake up like, let me make a voice note real quick and record that because I don't want to forget it. Long story short, as I was creating a lot of videos on YouTube, on Instagram, making reels, all this content, people just kept asking like, oh, are you writing a book? When's your book coming out? Because you have all this knowledge, all this information. You know, you're doing presentations. You have all these videos. You're speaking it seems like you could put all of that in a book and you know I would buy it I would give it to my nieces my nephews my cousins I'll buy it for myself and I just started hearing that again and again and again so finally I was like the next person asks me if I'm writing a book I'm gonna say yes why am I gonna say no like why if y'all want it why can't I do that so I think that even though I saw writing as something that felt like a chore I realized I cracked the code the reason like why I thought that way and it's because I had only ever written for an assignment, a homework assignment. It's like people that don't like reading books. It's because they've been made to read the books that school tells them to read. They never read a book they wanted to read. So I realized, okay, I want to write this book in a way that doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like I'm writing as a chore, as a homework assignment. It doesn't feel like I'm writing an essay, a thesis. That's not what this is. I, I want to write in a way that it feels like I'm talking to you. It feels like me and you right now, girl, like this is how I want my book to feel. I want it to have a conversational tone. I want it to be full of stories, just like us bochinchando. Like I want it to feel like girl talk. And that was my approach to writing, which I think is very different from most. I actually transcribed a lot of it. So I wasn't necessarily even type, type, typing or writing. I was recording my voice throughout that process and then putting that into text and editing from there. So that's how I was able to really approach the fact that I wanted to get it to feel conversational was because it sort of was. <laughs> it sort of was conversational. So that was my inspiration. It really was everybody. Everybody supporting me, listening, following, um, subscribing, all of that. And so I'm endlessly grateful because... I mean, I'm so proud of the book and it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't because of the community of supporters, which is an amazing thing about what we do. It's like we get inspiration. We don't really necessarily think we're going to pursue something. We end up doing it. Absolutely. And then, so I love that. So then the second question about what to expect. So it's personal finance through personal stories. That's what makes it different. It's my personal story. So the very first chapter you open up, there's no introduction. I really want to write my book. I wanted to break the rules. Like, I want a book to feel like all the other books on the shelf. I, you open the book, the first thing you see is chapter one. You, there's no introduction. There's no preface. There's no none of that. Dedicate, like, just get to the book. I want to know what the hell this book is about. Like, I don't got, I got time to waste. That, get, get that like, what are we talking about? So chapter one starts immediately with a story about me being in the backyard in my mom's home in Brooklyn. And my mom was out for an appointment and my sister was yelling, like, where's mommy? And I was yelling back, like, I don't know. And then I realized that she went to an appointment. And I yelled back where she went. She went to the welfare office and I yelled it so loud that the whole block could hear. And my sister was so pissed. She like knocked me on the top of my head. She gave me a chichong and was like, are you stupid? Why, why are you telling everybody on the block that mommy's on welfare? You're like, you're letting everybody know our business. And even though I didn't know too intimately what was going on, because I was like eight or nine years old, 
But I definitely knew like welfare had something to do with the money, like the money she would get for food stamps and for things that we needed. So that was like my introduction to this idea that like you shouldn't be telling people about your money situation, your finances. You keep that in the house. You keep it hidden, private. You don't talk to people about this. And that's obviously like a very dangerous path to start walking at a young age, thinking that money is, you know, you, you can't talk about it. it's bad, it's dangerous, it's taboo. And yet that was kind of how I was, you know, uh, raised. The last thing I'll say about like what to expect from the book is the stories kind of sprinkled throughout, but my very favorite chapters are the ones that are like diving deep into data because I'm super nerdy. Like I'm, I'm very nerdy. So like chapter two and chapter seven, those two chapters, I mean, the amount of research that I did, the amount of like actually going to the links of the studies and reading the studies, watching the TED Talks, sitting down and reading pages and pages and pages of research. Like to me, that was so important to make sure that I wasn't just writing about like what I think and what I feel and what I've read other people write, but it's based on the research that I did. So for chapter two, it's all about biases, tricks that your brain plays on you whenever it comes to money choices that you make. And then chapter seven is all about what the data says about investing. So, you know, we all about long-term investing and index fund passive investing on this side over here. <laughs> and that's really what, you know, what chapter seven kind of focuses on. I love that you approach this from the lens of an educator because that is your background, right? You were a teacher and now you work for an incredible organization that is actually working to put personal finance education in every school in America. And so I want folks to like understand that you can actually build a career about the thing that you're passionate about and like make money, have impact, build your legacy. Yanelli is an incredible example of that. And I'd love for you to kind of take us behind the scenes of what it's like to work in a nonprofit that's working to change the fundamentals of what we're teaching kids in school. Because Lord knows, I think I could have used less fucking calculus and maybe a little more how to take out a loan and understand what the hell an interest rate is. Girl, say. I mean, I remember being taught the limit does not exist. The limit does exist. There is a limit on the, the credit money. limit. Yeah, I, the credit limit is real. Hello, I need to learn what the limit is. It's so funny because I think a lot of people get confused about like how did this happen? Where you were a teacher and then you started doing YouTube and then now you work in education. Like, wait, like what happened? And it's funny because I mean, yes, I was teaching. Then I went into this private company where I was doing tutoring after school. And I was like, I was the director of that center. And a lot of kids would come in for math and reading. And, you know, it was like 400 students. It was a pretty big center. And I was in charge of tuition collection and organizing the schedule, the master schedule and all that. Now, I liked that job for the first few months. And then once I realized that you do the same thing the same way every day, I was like, ah, no, it's not about me. Like, this is not, I can't imagine myself doing this type of rote repetition over and every day in and out the same way. Same. I get bored very easily. Like I said before, like I'm a very curious learner. I want to learn new things. I want to do new things. And so very quickly into that job, I realized like, oh, I want out. I didn't think it was going to be like this. So I started creating my little exit plan, my little exit strategy. I started stacking up my savings account. I was already, this was like 2015. I was already kind of in the space of, of reading money books and learning about, you know, all this financial stuff. And one of the big things I learned was like, you know, if you're not happy with your job, you better not leave until you have another job lined up or until you have your six, nine month emergency fund. So that's what I started doing. I just started like throwing money into my savings account, trying to hit my six month savings goal. Before that, I started my YouTube channel because it's one thing to be at work all day and really feel like you have no purpose. The job that you're doing is like, like it's very rote, all that kind of stuff. It just bores you. And then you go home and you're like, oh, and you just sleep and you're just so sad and depressed. It festers. So I wanted to make sure I had something that kept me excited until I found another job. And so I started posting videos on YouTube and that was in August of 2015. I started talking about my credit cards, how I increased my credit score, little t tips and tricks about the credit, what I call the credit syllabus in my book, because like you said, in school, we learn about all these things and there's direct connections and correlations to the financial space, but they just don't connect the dots for us. So in my book, I talk a lot about that. Like when you take a class, the teacher, the professor, they give you a syllabus and they tell you, hey, look, you want to get an A plus? This is what you need to do. 35% is attendance. 30% is your midterm and final exam. 15% is participation in class. Oh, they're literally giving you the formula for success. They tell you on the syllabus, same thing with your credit score. 35% is payment history. 30% is your credit utilization. 15% is your age of credit. But they don't tell us when it comes to that. So I just figured like, all right, I feel like I need to be like the whistleblower. I need to tell on these people. They give you a credit card, but they don't tell you that there's rules to follow. And there's a whole schema over here that they're following to grade you. Like, let me tell you what it is. And then you could follow those rules. So I started just making videos about that first, just credit. 
people just started reaching out to me, like the channel started growing. At that time, that's when I transitioned to the nonprofit sector. And I was working in a reading organization. That's my second passion after financial literacy is like just straight up literacy. Over 80% of Black students in America are reading behind grade level by the time they get to third and fourth grade. It's a gap of obviously resources in terms of like low-income communities tends to be more prevalent, but also it's a racial reading gap. And I'm sure the pandemic had an effect on that too. The pandemic only made it worse, of course. So I was working on that from like 2015, 16 to like 2017, 2018. In 2017, I was, again, had been posting videos at home just because it was, you know, my side thing that I, I was very passionate about, but I was still working throughout the day full time every day during the week. And so in 2017, I said, all right, I think I just need to take a chill pill. Like, I don't want to be doing both. I want to focus on Miss Be Helpful and see if it's something I want to do full time. Now, once I started doing content creation a lot more, I was like, oh, nah, I like being in front of the camera, but like, dang, I don't want to have to be creating videos five times a day, every day for five, 15 platforms and then selling things and then doing all this. I was like, I like it. And I want to be able to opt in and opt out like when I want to do it and when I don't and what I want to do and what I don't, I want to have that choice and that freedom. But what I definitely want to do was financial literacy. So that's when I kind of just paused. I took the summer, went to Barcelona. My boyfriend and I were just like out there relaxing, chilling. And again, luck. Like I tell you, when something is just like luck, I just admit it. People love to be like, oh no, I, I manifest. I did manifest. I was in Barcelona chilling and an email hit my inbox where someone invited me to come on a podcast just like this. And I was like, sure, let's do it come to find out it's a whole financial literacy organization and GPF that focuses on teachers because you could give the curriculum to the school, but if the teacher who has to teach that doesn't know it themselves, how are they going to teach something to a kid that they don't know? The real key to changing financial education in America is to create a whole core of teachers who are confident, competent, who know financial literacy. Then when they start teaching it with confidence, the kids learn it. When the kids, the next generation grows to become the next group of teachers, they've learned it. So now they know. And now we've solved that problem with one generation to the next. So I started doing teacher trainings. I started traveling to schools, talking to students, just collecting data about, you know, what type of inf information do you need? How do we make this more culturally relevant? Adding things that we know are needed, but don't exist yet. So that was in August of 2018. So I pretty much spent the first like seven, eight months of 2018, just not working, doing all my own little thing, making little, you know, client calls, doing my own booking, coaching, doing speaking events. And then in August of 2018, I decided, all right, I'm going to seriously join this organization. The way the organization works, long story short, the founder, uh, his name is Tim Renzetta. He's the, one of the co-founders. And he essentially had a lot of success as an entrepreneur himself. He grew up from a very low-income family in New Jersey, but his father was very adamant about teaching him financial literacy. He's a little older than us. So we're talking about like, like shut the lights because the electric bill is going to be too high. Like these types of lessons, right? Close the refrigerator door because you're letting out the energy. <laughs> Unplug everything from the sockets when you're not using it. So it doesn't suck extra electricity, right? Like that type of stuff. And so it's funny, you know, he, he was raised in that environment. He ended up going to UVA. Then from there, he went to get his business degree and he went to Stanford. Now at Stanford, that's kind of where his life changed. He had a major network of people in California, like near Silicon Valley, where, you know, all these ideas, entrepreneurship, venture capital. He was like, what? We don't have this in New Jersey, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so he stayed there. He stayed in California. He started volunteering at a school in East Palo Alto, which is at that time, it was like the highest crime in America. And it's almost only immigrant families from Latino and Latina different communities. So he asked them, what does the school need? What do you want from us? And the parents and the teachers all were saying financial literacy. He was like, well, you know, I've had, I've been to business school. I've had some success as an entrepreneur. I can teach that financial literacy class, but he didn't have curriculum. There were no lessons, homework assignments, games, nothing. So he just went on Google, try to find stuff and millions of search results, all these terrible things. And he was like, all right, nah, like I'm going to make the commitment to create a financial literacy curriculum that anybody who wants to teach this can just go to the website and find the lessons, the homework assignments, videos, games, activities, 100% for free. So there's no excuse to why you don't provide this education to your students in any public school in America. And that's what he did. He started in 2014. I joined the team in 2018. And from 2018 to 2020, I was pretty much like full-time, full-time. And then the pandemic hit, I started thinking about, okay, I kind of want to be able to be a little more flexible. Something like a pandemic will make you realize that. So we kind of brought it down now. I work with them on a limited capacity. And I, what I do for NGPF is really still teacher training and some curriculum, 
But there's another organization that we created in 2021, which is called the Mission 2030 Fund. And we took some funding, put it in there and decided this money is going only to pushing legislation through in as many states till we get to all 50 states. And that's where the work I've been doing with education legislation comes in, where we go to different education departments. We go meet with legislators, different representatives, different senators, treasurers, governors. And we talk to them about why there's such a need for financial literacy in the school system and ask them, why is it not happening yet? They give us a list of 20 problems. Why? Oh, this can't happen because this is scheduled. This, this. And then we help them problem solve with that. And then the funding allows us to hire a team of public advocates who go and like make sure this gets pushed. They call us, let us know when we can testify, when this is happening, if there's a hearing. And we just stay involved until hopefully the bill gets voted yes. And that's happened in, oh my goodness, since we started in 2021 to now, we went from like seven or eight states to like 23 states as of 2023. 23 and 23, like that. Girl, talk about impact. I mean, like this is real world impact that is going to live on way beyond when Yanelli Espinal is no longer on in this universe, in this realm. So that's incredible that a Latina is part of this mission to increase financial literacy across our entire country. I'm curious, what ages does the curriculum fulfill? Or, or is it like they're starting to learn about the shit in kindergarten? They should be learning about it in kindergarten, definitely. The organization, when it started, it was just based on his experience. Tim, you know, he was working at a high school in East Palo Alto. So he was like, all right, I'm working with 9, 10, 11, and 12th grade. So that's what I'm going to start with. So the curriculum, the like kind of original way was just high school, a semester class, just like an algebra class, biology, English language arts is a semester class. And it's all about the basics of money management. Then middle school teachers started finding it and they were like, this is awesome, but it's like a little bit too uh, high level. Like, can we get a lower level? for middle school. So then we launched the middle school curriculum right before the pandemic started. And then elementary school and like very young learners, we haven't tackled that, but there are a lot of other curriculum providers out there that do have younger level curriculum. So for us right now, it's grades like six to 12. It's like the sweet spot for using either the middle school curriculum or the high school. And I'll tell you, I have professors that reach out to me saying, thank you so much for the videos, for the lessons. I, I use this at community college, or I use this at this four-year college to teach an intro to personal finance course using the full semester course from the high school level. We just make it a little bit more higher order thinking questions. We make it a little bit more rigorous. We give a couple extra papers, we make debates, and then just kind of lift the level of rigor a little bit on it. But yeah, the high school course is being used actually actively in a lot of colleges and community colleges around the country. That's incredible. And I know y'all are going to continue to have even more and more impact as folks find out about the work that you are doing. So shout out to Next Gen Personal Finance. If you want to learn more about them, where can we go, Yanelli? Yes, ngpf.org. So N stands for next, G for Gen, P Personal and F Finance, ngpf.org. Amazing. Okay. So you started talking about, you know, credit and debt repayment in the beginning of your journey, but now you are talking about wealth building, right? Like you have a, a more, I guess, holistic approach now to the conversation around money from when you started. Tell me about how that journey started for you. Like when did you personally get involved in with investing and maybe what was like the biggest myth that you had to debunk for yourself when you started? Oh, I love this question. Um, Okay, so in 2015, I made my last credit card payment and it kind of, I mean, it felt great, but at the same time, it was like, yay, now my net worth is zero. <laughs> like, uh, that's weird. Like, it's weird to celebrate having really nothing to your name. It's like, and, you know, I had a little bit of savings and I had 403B plan through my workplace, which I did not understand. But, um, you know, really for the most part, I had just reached like, owing no one and having nothing either. So it was a weird, like bittersweet moment because, you know, I want to celebrate my success of paying off the debt. But at the same time, I don't really feel like I have achieved something that's what I can say I'm super proud of achieving. So I realized that was not the end goal. That was like the first step towards really a, like a, a new life when it comes to money. So that's when, and, and honestly, this comes from the simple path to wealth where jail collins goes hard i mean he goes ham on the concept of debt getting rid of debt getting get rid of your debt and then invest 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 and so that kind of made me double down on being aggressive with the debt finally paid it off and then i just was like all right full on like i need to have the same amount that i just paid off i want to have that to my name so if i just paid off twenty thousand, i need to have twenty thousand dollars to my name 
So that kind of became the first little challenge. The first little like hurdle to jump over was, can I reach 20,000? Once I did that, okay, can I reach 30? Can I reach 40? Can I reach 50? It just becomes like a thrill. Like you become a little bit obsessed with hitting your goal because you know you can. Like now you know that it's possible. Now you see how to do it. And now you're like, all right, well, can I do it faster? Or what can I tweak to do this even better? And so that's what happened to me. I just became obsessed with it. And I started learning about all the different ways to invest. But funny enough, when I got my first teaching job, I was what, like 21, 22 years old. And we were brought into the room. The human resources lady came in and talked to us about our benefits package. You know, as a teacher, you get this, you get this life insurance, you get this health insurance plan. It's one of the best in the state because, you know, you work in education. You also get this retirement plan and you can choose to put a percentage of your income, of your paycheck in there. They'll hold it and it grows and then you can get it later. I was like, excuse me? Mm -mm, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. Oh, she's going to take a piece of my paycheck. I need every piece of my paycheck. But there was a lady next to me who I still remember her to this day. Shout out to Miss Gogelman. She was Rachel. She's a good friend. She has so much more experience than me teaching. And she like took me under her wing and like taught me how to teach third grade and taught me how to like behavior manage, like manage behavior, especially because you have in third grade, a lot of behavior stuff comes up in the class and takes away from learning time. So she taught me like how to be strong in that area. And that day I looked over at her and I'm like, I trust her. She, you know, she's the homie. And so I see her filling out the paper, everything, filling everything in super quickly. And I'm like, wait, but she, I felt like for the first time there was a test and I didn't know I wasn't good at it. Everybody else was good. So I, was, I just didn't like that feeling. I was like, no, I don't like this. So I just turned and I looked at her and I just started just cheating off of her paper. Everything she wrote, I wrote. And I don't remember everything, but now that I know some things about money, it's funny. I recall the things that I saw her write that I filled in. We put 7%. So we were contributing 7%. She put moderately aggressive mutual funds. I circled moderately. I bubbled in moderately aggressive mutual funds. And uh, so basically with that form that I submitted, my 403B, which was at Vanguard, was put, taking 7% of every paycheck, every pay period, 7% of that would go into my 403B account and would buy moderately aggressive mutual funds and from Vanguard. So generally speaking, very low cost ones. So that was great. I mean, for somebody at 21 years old to be set up at contributing 7% to moderately aggressive mutual funds that are low cost through Vanguard, I mean, talk about luck. Again, the luck strikes. Like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But when I left that teaching job, so like two and a half, three years into that school, I informed them like, hey, I'm going to, you know, go to a different position. And they were like, oh, you have a 403B account here that has like almost $10,000. And I was like, what? Like $10,000? Give me, take it. I want to take it out. Like my instinct was to just like take it. And this woman on the phone was like, no, sweetie, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm a little older than you. So I got a little more wisdom. I would tell you if you were my daughter. I would tell you, don't take that money out. You can put it into your new company's plan or you can roll it over into just your own individual plan, but don't touch it because what's going to happen is they're going to hit you with a bunch of tax penalties. You're going to have to deal with a big tax headache and you're going to basically be taking away from the money that you're going that you're supposed to be growing and using for you to retire. And so I was like, okay, she said, don't take it out. You know, like, okay, I'll listen. <laughs> and so I just rolled it over um, to my new company's plan, put it all in there. And that's how I started investing without even knowing what the hell I was doing. Girl, same. Okay. I feel like I started at 3%. Like that number has, is stuck in my head. And I want to say I picked a target date fund because I just started Googling the names of things. And I was like, I think I'm going to retire around 2050. There's a 2050 in the name of this. I'm trying to make a connection here. Right. And it's just like, you just start this shit and then you can figure it out as you go. And I think the most important thing is the education portion. Y'all read a damn book, read a damn book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And the thing is, like, I'm not gonna lie, is at first it's scary because there were chapters of The Simple Path to Wealth, which is to me, it has, it's my favorite investing book. So I'm, I'll talk about it a million you know, times over. But I remember having to reread chapters and sections of that book because you read it the first time. It doesn't really register because you don't know a lot of the lingo. There's no concepts in there. Like the bonds. I had to read that bonds chapter like five times and I don't even invest in bonds, but I wanted to understand it. I didn't want it to just be words on a page that I was just reading. I wanted to understand it. So yes, at first just read a book and it might be a little confusing, but keep rereading it start asking questions, reach out to people, take a picture and say, what does this mean? Like make it your mission to understand the book, like from start to finish and feel good about it and then move on to the next one. And that's for me has been the key to really feeling like I actually don't, not just I'm reading it and learning it, but I actually have confidence to then talk about what I've learned around all of these topics. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Okay. So I would love for you to share with us the moment that you realized, dang, like I am going to live a completely different life than the people that I grew up with because I changed my relationship with money. Ooh, I remember the day. This is crazy. Oh my gosh. So I used to have a three bedroom apartment in Bushwick. Girl, this is a whole separate story. But at one point I did not have renter's insurance because I didn't know what the hell that was. Again, I was just starting my journey. And there was a bad apartment fire in that three-bedroom unit, in that three-bedroom apartment. And all my stuff got burnt. Everything got burnt. I lost everything. That really turned me into like a very minimal person. Like now I have like a capsule wardrobe, like very minimal stuff in my apartment. You could count like my the items that I have. And it was because of that fire. But anyway, that apartment that I lived in before the fire, I had two roommates. And we would, you know, walk around the neighborhood. We'll go run errands. We'll go to the supermarket. We'll do laundry at the laundromat, talk, you know, shoot the shit, walk back to the apartment together and hang out a lot. We would watch Scandal. We would buy a bottle of wine. Like, this was, we were like early 20s girls living in New York City, sharing an apartment. And one day, I was telling them about, like, the books I was reading and that I had this idea that I wanted to start a YouTube channel. And it's funny because one of my roommates, Stephanie, was like, oh, you mean like the budgetista? And I was like, oh, I was like, who's that? And she was like, yeah, I follow her on Facebook. You, what you're saying is like kind of like making videos about money. Like you should check her out. And that's when I found out about the Vaginista. That was in like 2014, 2015. But yeah, so th that those two roommates and me were walking, walking, walking through the neighborhood. And there was a giant box like a block away from the laundromat. And it was just full of books, full of books. And when I tell you, I normally like, you know, something, there's like a sale something. You, I would always stop and just like look, right? But I was like, I'm that is not in my budget. I have no, I, there's no new books that I said I was going to buy this month. I'm going, I'm going to the laundromat and then back. Right. Like I, it was clear to me, like they were walking over to like, look through the books. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not stopping at, I didn't want books today. And they were like, what do you mean? But like, let's go. You never know that you might see a good book there. And all the books are like $2 or $3. And I said, but that's two or three dollars that you you don't like you weren't going to spend. It's so weird to me. Like they're just like, but just look, you maybe you want to buy something in that moment. Like it hit me like, oh, I have had this shift in how I think about spending money. And if even if it's two or three dollars, it sounds like nothing to somebody. But to me, at that point that I was at, I was like, I had no plan today to spend three dollars on anything except my laundry. So I don't know why I would stop there and look. And they were just like, oh, you're bugging, girl. It's like a dollar for a book. Come on. Like now you're taking it too far. I was just waited there. I let them look at the books, but I was having this thought in my mind, like, dang, this is how it's going to be. From now on, people are going to think like, oh, you're crazy. Like she thinks a dollar for a book is like, like she's taking this financial too far type of thing. In that moment, I kind of realized, all right, I guess got to get comfortable with the idea that I'm always going to be the odd one out. And that's fine because one day... Here we are. I'm going to be on podcasts. I'm going to be traveling to Puerto Rico to go to conferences. I'm going to publish my book. <laughs> Hello. So, you know, that $1 on those books that I saved, like it wasn't about the dollar. It was about the mentality that I had developed. Yeah. I love that story. You really do realize like how you start operating differently and moving different and just like the value of money means something else. For a lot of people, it's just this thing that you use to buy stuff. For me, I'm like, this is how I buy my fucking freedom. My okay. time back. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Hello. It's Tuesday at 10 something in the morning right now. And me and you are on this podcast having a conversation. Tuesday at 10 something in the morning. Where's everybody else? At work. At work, right? But we get to create our schedules and have more flexibility with our time. We design our lives that way. And so it's so interesting to me how the thought of that is what I was chasing all those years ago. And I knew I had to shift my mindset to be able to actually approach that and reach that. And I mean, I think there's just a lot of other people who either A, believe like that's just not attainable. It's not realistic for me, my situation. Or B, they genuinely don't want to put in the work. They're like, nah, I'd rather just coast. I like the way it feels to just chill. I don't really want... That's easier. Yeah, it's always easier to just not make the change. Um, so I think that that's kind of where people vacillate. They like get stuck between A and B or they just, you know, one base camp or the other. And so they don't even really try very hard. But if you do try, honestly, there's a lot of ways to reach success that doesn't have to be the way you did it or the way I did it. There's so many different pathways. That's the beauty of it is like hearing all these different stories because everybody thinks like, oh, there's just one. There's not, there is not just one path to wealth. There's not just one path to entrepreneurship. There's not one way of anything. There's hundreds, thousands of different people with thousands of different stories of their success. I always love the saying, like, choose your heart, right? It's like ignoring your money. That's a hard decision because at some point that's just going to come back to bite you, right? Not investing and then waking up one day 65 and you have no money saved. That's hard. Starting a business is hard. 
paying off debt is hard. Saving money is hard, but you got to choose your heart. Yes. I love that because, okay, so recently I had a meeting with a client and, and so I sometimes I'll do coaching calls whenever I have time. I like open up my schedule because I love just like the one-on-one like this. Like I love this. And so I had this client, she jumps in the call and she's like, Hey, like I, when I was like in my early twenties, my family told me that I had a trust and there were like millions of dollars in it. At that time, I just thought like, Oh, pfft, I haven't made. I started looking around and I see how my sisters and my cousins and how my friends were moving. And I just started doing what they were doing. Buying $10,000 purse or coat or whatever, because I could, right? If I have millions, what's a $10,000 purchase? That's nothing. But now she booked me because she has so much financial anxiety around the lack of awareness that she has of the value of money. If she picks something up and it's a thousand dollars, it feels like $10 to her because she's been in a distorted reality from her early twenties, having access to all this money, but no education, no real exploration of ideas around money and the value of money and the psychology of money. None of that. We have had to work on a lot of that with her because the reality is we think usually that these only are rooted in scarcity mindsets, but these problems are not just about experiencing scarcity. These problems exist for people with lots of money too. It just, it looks different with financial anxiety is a spectrum. It can look in a lot of different ways. So it's so funny that you say like, choose your heart because a lot of times people would think like, oh, you're 20 and somebody unlocks a trust fund with millions of dollars. That's not hard. It's just a different type of hard. It's a different type of hard. I've learned through working in coaching that you really don't know what someone's going through and you can't make any type of assumption, especially when it comes to money, because the way it messes with your mind is where a lot of the help that they're looking for actually is rooted in. It's sort of like it's therapeutic to just talk about openly about these things and then really reach the root of like, oh yeah, like that's really my problem is that I want to feel in control of my money and I don't, you know, like those types of things happen in these conversations. I think choose your heart is like for money. That's like one of the most accurate statements when you're getting into the personal finance world and you're starting to think about fixing your financial problems, choose your heart because no matter what, it's not a video game where you could go easy, medium, level, hard. Level, no, it's, <laughs> it, they all hard. So pick yes. the one that you want. <laughs> I love it. And we've talked so much about mindset. I'm curious if you have a mantra, favorite quote around money that you use to keep yourself motivated when things do get difficult. Okay. Actually, this is not really a mantra, but recently I've been just saying it again and again and sharing it a lot. It's just know thyself, which is ancient as wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. But know thyself is so important because it reminds me that when I'm out, with friends. I mean, I have so many different types of friends. So some of my friends are like extreme, like one of my girlfriends from, she's from North Carolina. She's like one of these hippy dippy, like she just wants to be in nature. She doesn't like big cities. She will go by the river and like read a book while she's listening to the water run. Like then I have my other friends who are like all about this Miami rich life who buy condos and yachts. And it's like, there's just a spectrum of like the people that I'm exposed myself to lots of different people. When I'm with them, I have to remind myself, okay, the hippy dippy, that's her. The like bougie Miami life, balling out of control, that's them. What about me? I have to know myself so that I don't just do what they're doing because they're around me and just this is what we're all doing. No, no, no. This is what you do. That's what they do. This is what I do. And the only way you can do that with confidence and not give a shit what other people say is to really and truly know yourself. And for me, that took getting into my 30s. I don't really think I knew myself well. Even in my 20s, I put like like Rihanna says, like, if you don't really feel confident one day, you know, fake it, fake it till you make it like truly and really she says, don't let them see you sweat. I, I like that quote because it's true. I, I did that for a lot of my 20s. But the problem that I have with it is that it's based in falsities. Like everything is fake. You're faking it. So in my 30s where I really, truly started to feel like I'm not doing that. I don't want to go to that event. I don't care if they're going to be like, but you didn't go. How are you not going to go? And, and I'm like, because I don't want to spend $250 on a ticket to something that I'm not passionate about. That I am not. I wouldn't have done that if y'all didn't try to pressure me to go. I wouldn't do it. I know myself. I'm not a fan of these types of things. And so I don't spend my money on them. Once you figure that out, it makes the financial stuff so much easier. It's like, oh, am I going to spend all this money on a fancy car? Nope, I don't care about fancy cars. I'm going to get a regular little hoopty and put my money towards where I live or traveling or the types of food that I eat. Wh whatever does matter to you is where you move the money to. So that requires self-reflection, introspection, really figuring out what you care about, not what you think you should care about.
Absolutely. That's one of those philosophies that I love from Ramit Sethi, the author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich. What is your rich life? If your rich life consists of $500 brunches on Sundays, I'm so happy for you. I love that for you. But if your rich life means you want to retire at 40 and go live in a fucking boat somewhere, I love that for you too. And you just need to figure that shit out. The sea is waiting. You know, it's <laughs> funny. It's, I literally just scrolled past his post like yesterday. I was on social and I saw on Instagram, he posted a picture of him in like a 2015 Honda or something. And he was like, people think like they're shocked when they find out I'm a millionaire, multimillionaire and I'm sitting in a 2015 Honda. Why? Because a luxury car is not his rich life. He doesn't care about the vehicle he's in. He would rather spend his money on luxury hotels when he travels, first class flights. There's certain things where he would rather put the money and that's just not it. So I think we all have to do that type of exercise and realize where is it that our money, because the problem is we think it's going to be everywhere. We're like, oh, I'm rich, rich across the board, every category. So rich looking outfits, rich looking car, rich looking pad, rich looking kids, rich looking everything. It's like, no, see, that's not how this works. Some of them, you apply the aesthetic and others you're going to cut back to make sure that you have the aesthetic in the areas that matter to you. Absolutely. I love that philosophy. I am so glad that we are like just bucking the system and really reminding folks that it's called personal finance for a reason. You design that shit for your own personal life. Okay. And if you love Yanelli's energy on this podcast, I can only tell you how you need to just immerse yourself in her world. So Yanelli, tell us where we can find you, where you're hanging out on the socials, where we can get this fabulous book, Mind Your Money. Tell us all the things. Yes. Okay. So with the book, you can buy a copy at mindyourmoneybook.com. That will give you information about the book. There's a little video you can watch to get a little bit of a taste of my story. There's chapter blurbs all of that and the link to buy the book there. There's also a free downloadable guide that comes with the book with one of my favorite things in the downloadable guide actually is a spreadsheet with like 200 plus influencers and financial content creators that I recommend. I don't think there's anything like this. I've looked, I have scoured the internets and there's always like the top 12 finance creators to follow, you know, five Latinas on finance to follow. Five, 12? Now, I got 200 plus for you all in one spreadsheet directly linked. So all you gotta do is click, follow, click, follow. So you could really transform your feed. And that's in the guide. So mindyourmoneybook.com. And then in terms of on social media, I will try to be active on all the other spaces, but mainly I go on Instagram. I post on YouTube. I will be on LinkedIn for like the professional type of stuff. But yeah, if you want to like DM me, Instagram is probably a good place. I will do my very best to respond. But honestly, most of the time I will just point to resources or, at, you know, or you can book me, you know, because really the reality is I can't spend all my time answering all the DMs. So, but, but I am pretty active on there. I try to get on at least once every day and just to see if there's any major um, people that have hit me up or questions or things going on that I want to be involved in. I do not post every single day. I try to post as often as I can, but the reality is, as I mentioned earlier, I do a million other things. And so you got a whole ass life, girl. Honey, and social media, <laughs> social media is one aspect of it. And while I do like to engage and go on and support a lot of people, you're not going to see like two, three, four posts a day from me. That's just, you can follow me, but just know the expectation is that's not the type of creator that I am. Yeah. Absolutely. I am just so grateful for the fact that you didn't just absorb this knowledge from books and take it and keep it for yourself and apply it to your own life. You decided to share it with our community. And I just want to thank you on behalf of my community for being such an amazing trailblazer in this space and know that you have a, a spot here and home here at Yo Quiero Dinero whenever you want, girlfriend. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much, love. I really appreciate you. I'm so glad we got a chance to schedule me coming back. I love this conversation, your energy, everything that you're doing, and cannot wait for your community to hear this. Thank you so much. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. 
This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.